Well, we've been doing this series on uh, remodeling. What did we call it? Reconstruction. It's up there, under construction. <laughs> and uh, I want to talk about what happens inside. And I want to talk about it in a slightly different metaphor. And that is how we grow uh, in Christ. And particularly as branches to the vine. And that's my topic for tonight. So if you'd, uh, for today, if you take your Bibles and turn to John 15. There's only an hour or two or three before Jesus will be arrested. The disciples are still feeling awkward after Jesus washing their feet. Uncertain of their future, there's confusion among his disciples as to what's about to take place. Eyes are darting back and forth, hoping to see understanding on someone's face. We'll see him, we'll not see him, then we'll see him again. The promise of a helper, the promise of peace, and yet confusion is filling their hearts. Then just before they head out into the night toward the garden where Jesus will pray and be betrayed, he speaks for a few more minutes. And what does he say? What do you say to friends you're about to leave behind? What do you say to friends that are about to have their whole world turned upside down? What final words does Jesus have to those whom he knows will face sorrow and trial and tribulation, both immediate and in the days and weeks and months to come? For Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him and to them. Jesus says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So what does Jesus say to prepare them to successfully face the chaos that is about to be unleashed? And for that matter, what does success look like from Jesus' perspective? And what about your world? Do you have what you need to succeed in the challenges of everyday life? And how do you measure success? Like when it's bedtime and the kids are still bouncing off the walls? Or you're trying to get your kids ready for church or ready for school in the morning and get yourself ready? Or when your spouse or your kids spend too much time on social media or playing video games or watching the news, or watching pornography. Or when your job doesn't go the way you like it, or you lose your job. 
or when someone is diagnosed with a debilitating disease or worse, or when a child goes down a different path than you'd like or worse. Are you ready? Do you have what you need? Do you have what you need to face these times in ways that glorify God? Do you wish Jesus would just tell you what to do? Do you wish you could hear from him as to how to handle the chaos from COVID or the messiness of your marriage? When fear, frustration, anger, boredom, envy, self-righteousness come your way, do you have what you need to initiate or respond to situations in God-honoring ways? That is, do you have what you need to bear good fruit? Hear Jesus speak. Hear him speak on that fateful night. Hear him speak to his friends who would still turn and scatter and deny. Hear him speak to you in the chaos of your every day. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Letter A, Jesus is the true vine. Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is declaring himself as the true vine. He is stating a fact. He is declaring what is real, what is true, what is essential to know when facing the challenges of life in God-glorifying ways. Now let's look, 
look closer at this metaphor of the vine. What is a vine? The vine is the essential life-giving part of the plant through which flows sufficient nutrients causing the branch to bear fruit. The vine is the essential life-giving part of the plant through which flows sufficient nutrients causing the plant to bear fruit. So in the life of the believer, Jesus wants to be seen and valued as he is. The essential and sufficient source that causes the believer to bear God-glorifying fruit in the circumstances of life. He wants to be seen that way because that's who he is. So know it and hold on to it. Know that it's true and necessary. If you are to successfully face the challenges of life in God-glorifying ways, you have to know that it's true and that it's necessary. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And this adjective true used in this context carries with it the sense of real, the real vine, not an inadequate, insufficient shadow, but the real thing. And upon hearing these words, the disciples may have had made the connection to several Old Testament references to Israel being the vine. Listen to Isaiah as he speaks of God's vineyard, Israel, and how God as the vine dresser cares for the vine. Yet don't miss the problem that is exposed. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewned out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to behold, to, to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. Now, if you're looking at the NIV, it rightly translates these words, these Hebrew words for wild grapes as bad fruit. It's a word that means rotten, stinky, worthless. That's the kind of fruit Israel, the vine, produced. Then in verse 4 in Isaiah chapter 5, God says, what more was there to do for my vine that I have not done it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And jumping down to verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And now, listen for the fruit that God was looking for from Israel. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. In almost all of the Old Testament references where Israel, uh, to Israel as the vine, it fails to produce the good fruit that God 
wanted it to, despite God's care for it. And why was Israel unable to produce good fruit? Because Israel was not the true vine. It was only a shadow pointing toward the true vine. Israel continued to fall short of God's ideal and produced nothing but rotten, stinky fruit. Do you feel like you fall short of God's ideal? As hard as you try, are you unable to produce God-glorifying fruit? Is that maybe because you are trying to be the vine? Israel did not have in itself what it needed to produce good fruit, and neither do you. Only Jesus is sufficient to cause you to bear good fruit. And when I say sufficient to cause you bear, to bear good fruit, I do not mean in the sense of he is just barely enough, but in the sense of he is abundantly enough, overflowing, more than able. He is sufficient to cause good fruit to come from you in the way that Niagara Falls is sufficient to satisfy your thirst. So stop trying to be the vine. There is only one true vine, Jesus, who is sufficient and essential to cause you to bear good fruit in the midst of your every day. So what we have here in verses 1 through 3 is what is true. What that Jesus is the true vine. And now, based on that truth, follows a command. Notice Jesus links what is true with what we are to do. Don't miss this simple paradigm as it is vital to the Christian life. I'm often asked, but what am I supposed to do in this situation? And yet, the doing is only half the answer. Even so, it is powerless in itself unless it is connected to what is true. So, now that we know what is true and believe it, what does Jesus tell his disciples and us to do? Are you ready? Abide in me. Point B, why should we abide in the vine? Now, before we talk about this, let's take a closer look at this word abide. The Greek word for abide is found 118 times in the New Testament. 68 of those times are found in the works of John. In fact, it's found 40 times in this gospel alone and 11 times here in this passage between verses 4 and verses 17. The most dense usage of this word in the New Testament. And therefore, we can conclude the, the con that the concept of abide is really important to Jesus' final words to his disciples. The word abide means to remain, to stay, to wait. In fact, these are the other main ways this word is translated um, along with the word abide. For example, we get a, 
a literal rendering as we look at Matthew 26, verse 38, where it says, Jesus in the garden, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. Abide and watch with me. It's not a go word. Bearing fruit feels like a go word. Produce, keep up the pace, don't stop. But abide feels like a slow down word, a be still word, a rest word. Rest in Jesus. Remain in Him, the all-sufficient, life-giving vine, which with our task-oriented, achievement-prized, go-or-die mindset makes it an odd partner with bearing fruit. But it is. So now, why should we abide in the vine? I've got four reasons. The first first reason why we should abide in the vine is because we are commanded to abide. Verse 4 commands, abide in me and I in you. And what's interesting is that we are never commanded to bear fruit in this passage. We are only commanded to abide in him, verse 4, to ask of him in verse 7 and to abide in his love, verse 9. Those are the commands. Bearing fruit is simply assumed because we happen to abide. So we ought to abide because the true vine commands it. Number two, because abiding in the true vine is the only way to bear good fruit. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Bearing good fruit is only a possible if we abide. Abiding in the vine is the means by which you bear good fruit. Listen to verse 5. Whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Bearing fruit results from abiding in the vine. And if you don't abide, you can do no God-glorifying thing. Number three, because fruit from abiding glorifies God. Think about it. It is impossible to glorify God through fruit that is produced independent of Jesus as the true vine. But when our abiding in Jesus results in bearing fruit, the vine dresser gets the glory. Listen to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He is glorified because you rest in the sufficiency of Jesus to bear good fruit. You see him as, uh, as what you need. And you make every effort to rest in him. If you see the Son as necessary for your life, then God will be glorified in you. Fourth reason why we should abide in the vine is because when you bear God-glorifying fruit, you receive joy. 
Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is giving the purpose for telling us why we should abide in him. And that purpose is that we should have joy, that we would have joy. This joy is not a manufactured joy. It's not a happy-go-lucky kind of joy. This is the deep, abiding, serious joy we experience when we hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is Jesus' joy. Notice it says, that my joy may be in you. The everlasting joy of Christ is ours if we abide. And not only that, but Christ's everlasting joy is ours to the full. He says, that your joy may be full. Let that sink in as you wonder whether or not you're going to make it one more day. The point is that abiding in Jesus is not a burden. Abiding is not a chore. If you find that it is, you're not really abiding. Abiding is not forced labor. It's freeing. Abiding is not drudgery. It's joyous. Now let's look at uh, letter number C. How we abide in the vine. That's what we all want to know. How do we abide in the vine? But first I want to look at four ways that looks like abiding, but we are not truly abiding in the vine. Number one, superficial abiding is not true abiding. Verse, verse two says this, it refers to a branch that looks to be in the vine but isn't bearing fruit, which tells us it isn't truly abiding in the vine. It's not truly attached to the vine. It is only superficial abiding and not truly abiding. Fruit reveals or gives evidence of true abiding. No fruit means no abiding. Verse 4 confirms this when it says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It's important to know that fruit doesn't cause the abiding. It's the abiding that causes the fruit. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, yet one of them was the son of destruction. Judas looked a lot like a branch that was abiding. In the upper room, when Jesus said that, that one of them was going to betray him, they all looked around at each other and wondered who it was. In other words, Jesus did not, uh, Judas did not stand out as a betrayer, but as one of the disciples. He looked the part. He sounded the part. The other disciples even trusted him as their treasurer. But there was a superficial connection only. 
You can call yourself an abiding branch. Others can say you're an abiding branch. You can associate with other abiding branches and not be an abiding branch in the true vine. Number two, we don't abide by being a box checker. Our human nature says, go, produce, do the task. Are you a box checker or a list maker? Do you feel like you haven't accomplished something until you have crossed it off the list? Do you find your list growing faster than you can scratch things off? We like to check boxes because it makes us feel like we're accomplishing something. And the more we accomplish, the better we are, right? The religious leaders of the time were box checkers. They followed all the rules. They even put their religion first. Read the Bible, check, pray, check, tithe, check, keep the Sabbath holy, check. But they left God behind. The Bible says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Abiding is not box checking. Now, there's nothing wrong with lists and boxes. And there certainly isn't anything wrong with Bible reading and praying and gathering of fellow believers. Unless those things have become an end in themselves. Check. They are a means to a greater end. To see and know him. Number three, we don't abide by going to church or being born into a Christian family. The acts of going to church or ministry involvement can be and is done by many who are not abiding. For example, we might come, because, come to church because it's good for our kids to have this positive influence. Or we might come because... Uh, that's what we've always done, or because we like the music, or our friends are here, or because I get something to think about for the week. The going to church is good, but it isn't abiding in the vine. Again, it's a means to a greater end. And being born into a Christian family is a gift from God for sure, and there are so many positive benefits for children who see parents living out their faith in Jesus. But it doesn't mean your children are abiding in the true vine. Some of the Jews tried to use this to no avail. Uh, John the Baptist fired back with these words, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, But we have Abraham as our father. Having a believing lineage is not abiding. Number four, we don't abide by valuing our independence. Remember when your children tied, tried to tie their own shoes before they were able? You knew they didn't know how to do it, but they still insisted, I can do it myself. But your child needed your help. They couldn't do it on their own. There is something in us that wants to be independent and self-sufficient. 
We want to rely on our own abilities, our own strengths and talents and wealth and reputation. Then you send your kids to college and out into the real world and you hope that you've prepared them for life on their own, independent of you and your resources. And that is a good thing. We want our children to become independent and self-sufficient. Yet it's just the opposite in regards to our spiritual life. Abiding means that we become more and more dependent on him, just like a child. And that is why Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Being independent glorifies nobody but yourself. On the other hand, abiding in the vine says the vine is valuable and essential, which gives glory to the vine. So how do we truly abide in the vine? I'm going to give you five ways. That's why you have the whole back page. Number one, you abide by looking only to Jesus as the true vine. You know him as the true vine. Not just that he is the vine, or that he is the true vine, but you know him as the true vine, which means we see him as essential and not optional to every moment of our day. We see him as the lifeblood that pulses through our veins. You see yourself as the branch and see him as the true vine that you need to abide in. The needed vine, the necessary vine. That is, see Jesus as the only sufficient source of God-glorifying fruit. See him that way. Know him that way because that is what he is. That is reality. Don't see him as anything he's not. He's not the latest fad. He's not something you try to see if it works for you. He is really the true vine. He is essential. He is sufficient. So abide in that. Remain in that. Rest in that. Of course, when Jesus says abide, he's not talking about staying in a physical location. He's talking about what your heart is set on. What your heart sees as valuable. In other words, what you treasure. Let your heart be fixed on him. Pursue him as your greatest treasure. He is, in fact, the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. Does he just get honorable mention on Sunday mornings? Or do you see him as the true vine in your life? Number two, you abide by living, living as if your life depended on the true vine. Verse 4, 
A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Living as if we didn't need the vine is fruitless. Giving Jesus only some of your attention, only some of our mental thinking, only some of our heart is crazy. How is God getting glory? That is, how are we making much of Him if we give Him so little of our attention? We meditate and even ruminate on so much that is worthless and give so little attention to the true vine. We ought to live as if our fruit-bearing life depended on the vine, because it does. Only by abiding in Him can we bear God-glorifying fruit. Listen to these other passages which support this. In Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, these things you want as you live out your life. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, where it's talking about all of our gifts and services and activities, they are all empowered by God. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, what we need to live a godly life is granted to us by His divine power. So live as if your life depended on the true vine. Number three, you abide by welcoming the pruning effects of the vine dresser in our life. Verse two says this, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And I believe pruning is referring Referring to God's work to eliminate what hinders fruit bearing. And this process can include all kinds of things, but certainly it includes difficult and painful things, refining circumstances, or circumstances that force us to depend on Him. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt as if we had received the sentence of death. This is God's pruning effect in action. And he goes on. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We can complain about our circumstances. We can get angry at God. We can blame others. Or we can see our circumstances as God's good and loving pruning action. Only the abiding branch welcomes the pruning of the vine dresser. Number four, you abide by looking to the vine dresser for what you need to produce good fruit. Looking to the vine dresser 
for what you need to produce good fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever you wish. That does not mean that it's open season to ask for that big vacation home you've always wanted and God's obligated to give it to you. No, it's in the context of abiding and bearing fruit. So ask God to produce fruit in you and through you in this moment of conflict or frustration. Demonstrate your dependence on the vine and the vine dresser by asking for help, asking for guidance, asking for divine power so that you can stand firm in your faith in the face of your troubles and frustrations so that you can courageously and sacrificially show love to the unlovely so that you can generously give of yourself to those who are in need. And lastly, you abide in the vine by knowing you are deeply loved by the true vine. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. In other words, in the same way God the Father loves God the Son, in the same way God the Father loves God the Son, He loves you. The same love, not a different love. And to the same extent, not to a lesser extent. Jesus, the true vine, says, in the same way the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Do you know how much you are loved by God? The only one who really matters? Do you know you are loved with the same measure of love God the Father loves God the Son? There is no greater love. There is no deeper love. There is no more profound love. And that's why we are commanded to abide in his love. Our Heavenly Father, we believe what is true, that your Son is the vine and you are the vine dresser. And from that, Lord, we have received a command to abide in you. Help us to remain, to wait, to even rest in knowing how much you love us, in knowing how dependent we are on you as the true vine. 
Help us to welcome the pruning effects in our lives. Lord, for many of us, that may be happening right now at this moment or the moment we leave or this afternoon. Help us to not lose sight that you are working, pruning in our life so that we may bear fruit of love and joy and patience and kindness in the circumstances of our life. So thank you for being our true vine. In Jesus' name, amen.